Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be talking about what we'll need for the second wave of this COVID-19 pandemic that's you know, basically altered life as we know it. And today's episode is sponsored by HP, the leader in the world's most secure and manageable PCs. Learn more about HP's Healthcare Edition products at hp.com slash go slash healthcare slash US. Again, that's hp.com slash go slash healthcare slash US. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 14 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. How are you doing, Colin, amidst the craziness of this virus? I'm doing all right. You know, holding up, I think holding up pretty well, all things considered. Consider myself pretty lucky in that, you know, we've been working from home for a couple of years now. So that, that part of the transition wasn't very hard. But just getting used to having everyone at home and getting used to routine, uh, that normally doesn't happen until like you know we're on holidays or anything. Uh, that's been kind of unique, and I don't know. But how about how how are you finding things? Yeah, well, it's certainly not a holiday for my kids or my wife that's trying to manage them being home, which you know certainly impacts me somewhat, but her impacts her more so. But yeah, all things considering, you know, I mean, we have a roof over our head, we have food on the table, we have TV in the bathroom. That you know we're we're, we're doing as well because this could be imagined. So. You know, it's been it's been interesting. Obviously, we write about healthcare IT, and so we're on the edge of everything that's happening. And so I think I see more of what's happening, and it hits me more than maybe some of my peers and my friends that aren't experiencing it and reading the stories of doctors on the front lines and hospitals and healthcare organizations that are hit either financially in a negative way because they have to close because of the pandemic or because they're anxious. So I, I think that weighs on me a little bit, but you know, it's been great to be able to help in some ways by sharing the programs that are available and other things like that. So, you know, we're all fighting the good fight. <laughs> yeah, we're all trying. And, and, you know, in the meantime, we're trying to say stay sane, right? Like just not let too much of the negativity seep in and get too worried about all the different shortages and things that uh, are happening. But uh, but at the same time, you know, just try to keep the spirits up, you know, through uh, some of these unique online things that people are doing, like online dance parties and little get togethers and after hour parties. I mean, it's a lot of fun. That's the fun part. Absolutely. Of all of this. So speaking of which, you know, all the online stuff, I mean, a couple of days ago, I saw a tweet put out by uh, Victor Singh, um, who uh, put out just a, a nice graphic that kind of described the various waves of this pandemic. And, and what he was referring to actually wasn't that, oh, hey, this is, this, is COVID-19 gonna morph into something new and that's gonna be a second wave. No, 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 what he was talking about is, you know, we're dealing with wave, the first wave right now, which is obviously people uh, infected with COVID and, and the COVID virus itself, but that there's a second wave of the pandemic that's building right now. And these are all the people who've had their surgeries and elective procedures delayed or canceled because they were so focused on dealing with the virus. And so these are people with, 
you know, uh, you know, cancer uh, with kidney uh, and heart disease. Uh, people have had those kinds of surgeries and other treatments delayed. The, their need is now growing and growing. And the longer we are in the, dealing with the first wave, the bigger that second wave gets. And of course, the cartoon goes on to describe, you know, the third and fourth waves too. I'll let you, we'll, we'll post, post this up on Healthcare uh, IT today and you can see it. But, but what we want to talk about today is that second wave, like that building of the, those patients that have been delayed who need the care, but who just cannot get it right now because of COVID-19. And, and so we're here to talk about kind of what, what we'll need to deal with that crush of patients as soon as we get to a point where, you know, hospitals can bring those patients back in. So, so let's start, John, by just talking about one of the areas I think we're definitely going to need in that second wave, which is resource optimization. No, it's interesting to think about the second wave and the challenge. I did see one tweet that may have minimized the idea of the second wave, and they referenced, and I didn't dive into the detail, but they referenced September 11th, and they thought that they would get the same thing after September 11th, and then they said they didn't. Now, granted, September 11th was much shorter and and there were other dynamics at play, but I wonder if we will get it or if we'll see some minimizing where people just didn't get the services they need and maybe they passed away or whatever it might have been. So anyway, it will be interesting to see how big that second wave is because of that. Of course, my orthopedic surgeon friend uh, who isn't working because most a lot of his procedures are elective or can be pushed out, you know, he's going to be extra busy. So yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of resource optimization that needs to happen. And, you know, when I was thinking about this, uh, I was actually thinking about it from a different perspective. One is, you know, how are we going to manage all of this wave of people that need these uh, surgeries that were put off because they were elective or they weren't considered priority? The other is, okay, what are you going to do with the 600 bed hospital that now became a 900 bed hospital and now you got to go back to the 600 bed hospital because the regulations are going to require it and how are you going to optimize all the work involved in that or even the 2000 you know laptops and desktops that were purchased by your organization in order to facilitate telehealth and telemedicine or remote working I talked to a, a hospital yesterday where that they literally bought 2,000 laptops. And now you're like, okay, how are we going to repurpose those? And what are we going to do? And are we going to change exam rooms into telehealth rooms? Uh, so do we need to actually reduce the number of beds that are in your in an organization in order to optimize it so you have space for people to be able to do telemedicine? I think those are some of the challenging questions we need to ask. Yeah, no, and, and you know the way I took this sort of category is a little bit different than you. Resource optimization for me, one of the things that we're going to need to deal with this second wave is better tools to help choose and determine who gets in first. Because uh, right now it was pretty much done on a who was who was next, right? The first in, first out kind of method. I don't, not sure that's the optimal way to do it right when that second wave hits. I think we're going to have to prioritize based on need, on urgency, on acuity. And our systems right now, the way we book appointments and the way we book uh, resources like the OR and CT scanners aren't built like that. Like the systems aren't built to handle that. So how are we going to put in that process, right? How are we going to determine who gets into that critical surgery first, right? Um, so there's going to be some interesting uh, resource allocation and also just tools to help optimize the usage, like running, we all knew about CT scanners running 24 seven. 
But now we're talking about perhaps, you know, OR is running 24-7 and with elective surgeries or opening up other centers to do those kinds of things. So I think we're in for the need where, uh, or, sorry, we're going we're gonna to be, have to prepare for the need of uh, hospital providers for this type of help, either through consulting, but also through some technology. I think you're right. I think the fear as a, an American, and this is kind of a touchy subject because you can already hear people saying, wait, you're going to create death panels, which was, you know, politicized as part of the insurance process, you know, in the different regulatory government processes. But in some ways, you know, it almost gets to that if we're not careful, right? So I, I hope it doesn't get to that and I hope it doesn't become politicized like a death panel and hopefully we're not choosing between who's gonna die and who's not, but instead we're just saying, you're gonna be fine and so you could wait a little bit longer and we have some compassion and understanding that, uh, that that's gonna happen and that's gonna be required and that it's not first in, first out, that we're gonna take the highest acuity first and do that. But man, I don't wanna be the doctor or hospital person making that decision because there are risks and there's unknown uh, decisions and unknown information. You're, you're making those decisions based on limited information about how acute the issue is. And so it's a really hard thing to do, but I think you're right. It's probably gonna have to happen. And I think technology will play some role in that because the volume and mass of people that need those types of things is gonna require technology to do some of the filtering. Absolutely. The next uh, item I think, or that we think <laughs> we're gonna need going forward to deal with the second wave is workforce management tools and workforce management technology, either to manage your permanent workforce, but also to manage the temporary work workforce. And for me, the temporary <laughs> workforce is the interesting one. Uh, it's, again, because of this crush of patients that you're likely uh, needing to address, you know, yes, you may have to take down that extra 300 bed hospital tent that you set up in the back, but, uh, you're going to need those nurses as well to help in the OR, to run it more often than not, uh, to shorten the hours from people who are, you know, suffering a little bit. Uh, you know, so you're going to need a temporary workforce. And, and I know most people have outsourced this to other agencies, but just managing all of that around the credentialing and making sure that they, everyone has the right skill sets and matching them with, the, with, the, with what you need uh, and then find them in, in the locations that you need them in, like all of that are things that I think are going to be much more acutely needed moving forward. You won't be able to do this with a spreadsheet in, some, in most cases. No, I agree. And I think it's going to be super complex and it's also going to be very regional. In fact, not even just regional, it's going to be hospital, hospital. Yeah, I just think of my uh, my cousin that's a nurse and she was like, oh, great. I finally got to work one day this week because they they leveled up and they said, OK, now, you know, you, you now you're a COVID-19 uh, uh, group and you're gonna treat COVID-19 patients, but all your electives are put off. So you're not doing any of the elective procedures that you did previously. And now they're just sitting there waiting because they don't have the COVID-19 patients. And so she's you know, basically getting furloughed in, in, in a certain way because she's not working because they don't have the patient capacity that needs her to work. And But then you also look in New York and you're like, they'll take every single clinician and nurse and provider that they can find to be able to take care of it. And so I wonder, you know, how are we going to manage these surges that are likely to happen very regionally at very specific hospitals? And I think you're right, it probably is through some sort of temporary workforce 
But then it's also the question, how do you incentivize them to want to work as a temporary and be able to come in? I mean, even before all of the COVID-19, I saw some really amazing workforce management programs that we're working on. How do we create a bonus structure or a payment structure that incentivize people to work the hard shifts? And so there's some technology there already that's available and it could be adapted to this, I think. You know, but the problem is it's based on past analysis. And I don't think we have the past analysis to know how a COVID-19 surge is going to come or how a surge of the second wave is going to come. So it's going to take some real unique uh, talents to be able to balance it. No, agreed. And you and I were talking about off air, you know, before this about the need for even just managing burnout as part of the workforce, right? That's going to be much more acutely felt. We were just beginning to deal with it sort of pre-pandemic. Uh, but I think that's going to become acutely needed right afterwards, right? When 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 you come off these long shifts and when people have had to deal with uh, the way we've had to give care and provide care in this sort of emergency situation, it's going to burn a lot of people out and we're going to have to deal with that. Yeah. Can you imagine being a doctor or a nurse who's been forced in some cases or at least, you know, you felt the need to work without PPE? Or you've been forced to work long hours, overtime shifts, or you've been received a reduced salary because the load wasn't there. And now later, as the surge happens, they're like, "Will you work some overtime?" And they're like, "Well, you you kind of screwed me over back here, and now you want me to come and work extra." Like, you know, there's there's some uh, challenging situations in communication as as far as what's going to happen because of how doctors or nurses have been treated in some organizations. I imagine some organizations that have done things to to provide the PPE, to provide other benefits and to treat their employees accurately, uh, they'll be all right. But uh, I think some of these that haven't done that are going to pay the price and it's going to be a real challenge for their workforce. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. Yeah, and today's episode is sponsored by HP, the leader in the world's most secure and manageable PCs. You can learn more about HP's Healthcare Edition products at hp.com slash go slash healthcare slash US. And be sure to follow up with the company on Twitter at HP. And I'm just totally jealous that they have the HP Twitter account. I mean, at Tech Guy is not bad, but <laughs> at HP is awesome. And and no doubt they're some of the they're the company providing a lot of these resources to organizations uh, that need a need a whole telehealth workforce that can work from home on the on an HP laptop. So that's awesome. That is good. That is pretty awesome. So moving on to the next area that uh, we're oops that we're thinking uh, is going to be needed is records retrieval and consolidation, or what I've called one-time interrupt. <laughs> uh, and what I mean by this one is, I think just given that how crazy it has been around transferring patients between hospitals, uh, let alone between your own uh, hospital, between like what was outside and what's inside, uh, just where those records are and how they're being entered, no one's really thinking about that, as they should. It's not a consideration, right? Just treat the patient. But now you're going to get into a world where you have records in different or in different systems of your own, or worse yet, between systems. Like the same patient was seen somewhere else. Your patient was seen over here and not where yours is. So trying to get that one-time uh, uh, record consolidated back again is going to be a problem when we hit that second wave. 
right? Because you're going to need to tap into other people's systems. And there's not an easy way, as we know, because full interoperability hasn't been achieved. So how are we going to do this on a temporary basis to get these records at least back together so we know, oh, some other doc prescribed you this stuff. Okay, now I need to know that. Uh, that, to me, is going to be a, a key challenge and a key need in the next section. For sure. And, you know, there have been some efforts to try to address this. Uh, care quality, for example, allowed that anyone could connect to the care quality system, which interestingly, care quality is connected to Commonwealth. And between the two, that's the majority of health records, especially EHR records, because they have the Epics and Cerners and Meditex and ECW and Athena Health. In fact, Athena Health is part of both of them. And you know, so, like, they have the records. They came out with a new policy that said you don't have to be connected in order to retrieve the records so before you had to connect your ehr and if it wasn't connected then you didn't get access to them but if you were connected then you had access to be able to do the record retrieval and they even do community-based records so in it you can say give me all the records for colin hung in this community not sure if they're in canada so that maybe that wouldn't return a record but, <laughs> but yeah, i think they are actually but yeah, so it would return all the records for you in the community. So they allowed that to happen and some vendors have even provided viewers to be able to do that. But it's still a bit of a manual process. You have to either download the record right now if, you're, if your EHR is not integrated with Care Quality or with Commonwealth or one of those uh, interoperability solutions. So, you know, that's a little bit of a manual process. You have to either download it and upload it to your system, or you can send it to a direct address. So maybe there will be some people adopting a direct address to be able to do it, but it is still a bit of a manual process. So I, one, I hope Care Quality continues with this post-COVID-19 because it's something that probably should happen. And I think they have the majority of vendors. There's enough incentive for an a vendor to want to integrate with care quality. In fact, if they see a bunch of people emailing to their direct address all of these records, they'll say, why don't we make this even easier for our users? It just seems like a logical outcome. But you're right. I think there will be a challenge with record retrieval. The other one I was thinking about was population health initiatives. And we see a whole slew of things, it's almost hard to keep up with them. But I'm hopeful that those one-time interoperability projects to be able to do something for, for a population health aren't one-time, that they become permanent and that we find a way to be able to share that population health data to be able to discover new ones, to be able to provide the infrastructure that's needed for population health professionals to discover new pandemics, to discover new treatment patterns that could help our population. So I'm hoping those aren't one time and that they're firmed up as, as at least those that are successful are made permanent. Well, we can spend an entire episode talking about this topic, but you know, obviously what one thing that would help here is that unified patient ID, right? Uh, if we had that right now, it would make this at least finding the records and consolidating them at least possible or a lot easier versus all of the fuzzy matching that has to go on today. Uh, but you're right, I mean, population health is another area where a lot of records are being held and uh, you, you think about all the clinical trial information as well, like all that, you know, can help build that picture of the patient, which is so needed in this sort of crisis mode, but also just longer term, just treating that patient and seeing them on a regular basis, it's helpful to have all this stuff. So I definitely think that, you know, there's going to be a focus in terms of investment going into these one time, let me pull the records from you, let me pull the records from you, let me upload them here. 
And uh, I think hopefully, you know, experiencing that a few dozen times uh, that we'll go, you know what, there's got to be a better way. Let's use that DM, let's, uh, let, you know, direct message, or let's let's use some other mechanism to achieve this interoperability that's finally put some some horsepower behind it. Um, but let's get to the last one, John. Like, so what are what are some other needs that you're seeing? Pick one thing that you you think that we're going to need to deal with that second wave of this pandemic. Yeah. So for me, I'm really interested in the telehealth platforms. I think you know some of them have been proactive and they implemented telehealth a, a year ago and could never get their doctors to adopt it, and they're doing all right. But you know, you're, we're hearing about weak implementations to do telehealth, or even three-day implementations to do telehealth, and you have to wonder what was their process of selecting a telehealth provider and then implementing it. So I think the big need that's going to happen in the second wave is an optimization of telehealth, and in many cases, I think that's going to be a replacement of their previous provider, or at a minimum, it's going to be how do we optimize our current telehealth provider? How do we integrate it with the EHR in a better fashion? What notifications do we need? What support do we need for the patient and the provider to be able to hop on the telehealth? Uh, I even heard of uh, StairCycle doing amazing things, calling out to the patients to ensure that their tech setup is ready for the telehealth solution. And that's pretty amazing that they're doing that. And that's an awesome service to the patients. But we're going to need to optimize all of that workflow, notification, documentation, and use of telehealth. And it will be interesting to see what becomes the features that really set apart one telehealth vendor from another. So that's what I'll be watching for is needs is how are they going to optimize telehealth? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, for me, it was a cut. There's, I'll pick. Uh, I'll pick one. It, you know, for me, the big need is mobile solutions, mobility, um, because I think to deal with this second wave, we may not have free up the beds yet. Uh, by the time that that second wave it needs to be addressed, and so I'm starting. I'm hoping that we'll start to see, you know, uh, docs getting into mobile uh, exam rooms and going out to see patients and see, meeting them where they are, essentially, in order to start to deal with it, to do the screening or the assessment. Or, and yeah, some of it may be able to do, be done online through, through telemedicine, but I think there's a lot of other conditions where that's just not possible, right? You really do have to exam, examine that patient. And I think with once we you know get over this PPE problem and they have that equipment, I'm wondering if there might be a, a need where we go, okay, you know what, we're going to go out in the community now and go and see uh, the patients and make sure that you know we check up on them in person and determine whether or not they can wait or whether they have to be prioritized to go into you know that system that we talked about before about just managing the OR and whatever procedures you need. So I'm hoping we see that. I mean, I think it's a bit of a pipe dream to go back there, but I'm hope there are some signs that this is happening where they're just like, hey, like I need to be able to see my patients and I need to go I need to go and meet them. So you know what? I'm going on the road. Uh, you start just hearing about this in sort of the rural areas that's happening right now. So uh, but I like what you said as well, John, the extension of that in terms of the communication is I think there's going to be a need to reach out to patients in a much more proactive manner to fill the gaps. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a cancellation and you're trying to run that OR or that uh, CT scan 24 seven now, because you're trying to get that deal with that second wave, you're going to want to fill that wait list. You're going to call that wait list really fast and you're going to have to outreach. You're going to have to find a way to go, okay, you know what? Can you come in an hour? Right. And, Cause we got an opening, uh, you know, and, and I think patients will go, you know, I'm there, right? Like, because they, they want those treatments. So having that patient communication technology, I think is also going to be a need in that second wave. Yeah. One, 
one other need that David Chow pointed out to me, so credit to him, but he said, what are you going to do with the hundred extra ventilators that you don't need anymore? And the, you know, the thousand extra laptops, although the laptops will be used more, especially if we leave, you know, our health IT workforce and administrative workforce at home and we convert those health IT and administrative offices into telemedicine offices, or, you know, it'll be interesting to see the creative approaches that people are going to use, uh, with you know all this excess capacity that we're building how are you going to reconcile that in a economically efficient manner yeah i mean what a good problem to have though right like in terms of i got too much equipment now and now i need to know what to do with it i've got too many ventilators i mean yes we have to figure out and hopefully we won't let them lapse and then when we get into this problem again we find we find out that it's oh, it's expired and it wasn't maintained and a lot like we hear about these millions of masks and 95 masks that have expired in people's stockpiles because they forgot that these those things expire yeah. right let's hope we don't end mm -hmm. up there uh but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's almost I almost think you know uh, another need is going to be rethinking the way we design hospitals, right? And and the physical space, much like what airports had to deal with right after 9/11, right? The, the airports were in that were designed for people who were not going on flights to go and mingle with the people who were, right? Uh, mm. But now after 9/11, that stopped, and now you go, well, wait a minute, I got all this excess restaurant capacity, all that stuff inside, and I don't need anymore. I wonder if the hospitals are thinking the same thing around, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna have to convert some of these rooms into telemedicine rooms, like you said, or maybe I gotta redesign the way my waiting room works. Like no more waiting rooms, right? Like it's, or open air ones, yeah. I gotta increase the airflow. All these things now are gonna really gonna be an influence in the way we design our facilities going forward. And could they donate some of their supplies to rural, which has older supplies maybe? That, that would be cool if they did that. Yeah, it's gonna be very interesting. It's gonna be very interesting. Listen, thanks to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. And I want to make sure we thank our sponsor, HP, for today's episode. You can learn more about HP at their health and their health edition products that were designed for repeatable sanitization after every patient engagement at hp.com slash go slash healthcare slash US. And you can find out more details about our show by checking out the whole programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on twitter using the hashtag h-i-t-s-m i'm colin hung with my friend and health it collaborator john lynn thanks for listening and have a great week